Hey guys, this is Jeff Stanek with Figured Out Baseball. We've got a great Figured Out Baseball podcast for you today. A very unique guest is joining us for this podcast, which uh, I'm just I'm really excited to get into all of the things that that make this guest unique. We're being joined today by Chris Gresham. He is an assistant baseball coach at Duville College. That's a, a very recent thing. He was just hired there in January, uh, which is a, it's a Division two school in Buffalo, New York. I'll give you a little bit more background on Coach Gresham, and you'll hear just exactly what is unique about. Uh, coach before we uh, get into questions with him. So he played collegiately at Virginia Wesleyan College, then transferred to and graduated from SUNY Buffalo State. He got his uh, went to the University of Buffalo Law School, where he graduated in 1994. He then spent the next uh, 20 years as a prosecutor before a, a summer ball opportunity came about in 2015, which really kind of turned things around for him and gave him his first college coaching experience. He did coach youth baseball during that 20 years, but his first uh, college opportunity came along because of this, the 20, the summer of 2015. So in the spring of 2016, he was an assistant coach at Clarion University, a Division II school in Clarion, Pennsylvania. Then the springs of 2017 through 19, he was an assistant coach and recruiting coordinator at Finger Lakes Community College, a junior college in New York. In the spring of 2020, the shortened spring of 2020, he was an assistant coach at Hilbert College, a Division three school in Hamburg, New York. Uh, now that's near enough to his home where he uh, became an adjunct professor. Well, he he will continue to do that even though he's got a new coaching job. He'll continue as an adjunct professor there. Um, and he is currently serving as an Erie County Assistant District Attorney, a position that he's held since 1996. So you're starting to see now just uh, kind of the uniqueness of what Coach Gresham brings to the table as a coach and just what he does outside the field. Then again, he was hired in January to be an assistant coach at Duville College. Um, really a, a pretty cool thing that uh, that he's got going. And, and with this hiring at uh, Duville, he also did something pretty extraordinary by becoming Western New York's first Division II black college baseball coach, which is just something pretty unique and very cool and something that we're recording this in uh, February of 2021, Black History Month. So I know Coach Gresham was excited about that. That was just sort of a coincidence, but he was excited about that timing. So, Coach, uh, enough of me talking. I appreciate you joining us on the podcast today. Well, Jeff, I appreciate the opportunity uh, to appear on the program and uh, if you recall, we scheduled uh, this podcast uh, before any of this happened. Uh, but I'm thankful for the opportunity that Hilbert provided, but even more thankful now that uh, Duville offered me the opportunity to make this uh, you know, this historic move. Can I ask you first, Coach, just how exactly you knew, how do you know that you are the first uh, black coach at, at Division Two in Western New York, was that is that something that somebody else presented to you, or something that you did some research on? How exactly did you come to find that out? Well, uh, Duval College is the they just moved to Division Two in March of 2020, so there were no other Division Two baseball schools in this area. So since I am a man of color, I am the first Division Two assistant coach uh, in, in Western New York history. Uh, you know, as a minority, and, and I don't want to be recognized strictly for that. I mean, we want to be recognized for uh, being able to coach and make players better, but you can't ignore the fact that um, you know, I am a black coach in a predominantly white industry uh, or sport and profession. 
Let's talk about that a little bit. I I know that there there's a good bit of conversation now in a lot of different areas just about trying to make baseball more diverse, trying to make college baseball more diverse, players, coaches, um, and just the sport in general. I know for myself, when I was still coaching, uh, or maybe maybe right after I stopped coaching in college, at some point I read an article, um, and, and this has been talked about a lot, but I read an article specifically that Major League Baseball maybe was going, and this was you know years ago, but was maybe going to um, try to fund college baseball and, and, and increase the scholarship level, which part of the article that I read was that would help to bring more minority baseball players, uh, you know, into college baseball, which obviously would bring more minority players into the professional ranks. I know that the numbers are not real good. You know, Major League Baseball has started the RBI program, rebuilding baseball in inner cities, um, and figured out baseball was just a part of a coach's clinic run by the base out of Boston. And at the end of the coach's clinic, they had sort of a, a roundtable discussion about diversity, um, creating more diversity in college baseball. And, and there was uh, a, a, there were a couple of minority Division One head coaches uh, on, the, on the podcast, two black coaches, one uh, Edwin Thompson just got the head coaching job at Georgetown, and the other is Spencer Allen, who – uh, is the head coach at Northwestern in Chicago. Um, I, so I know there's talk about it. There, there's obviously attention being brought to it. But in your experience, is, is there anything that you can point out that uh, that maybe is is an issue that you think can be tackled or anything that you think if there's more focus put on this, that would help break down some barriers and, and get more minority baseball players uh, playing baseball and maybe in, and obviously the, the more guys you have playing then the more coaches you're going to have the more minority players you'll have in professional baseball the more you know minority children be able to look at you know a, a minority player in the big leagues and, and kind of have uh, you know someone to look up to uh, is there anything that you have experienced coach or uh, just things that you've seen read about anything else that you think baseball college baseball specifically can address to get more players in more minority players in college baseball well having been around the game as long as i have um you know i grew up in a predominantly white suburb and there was only just a handful of uh, black players Um, but the biggest transition that i've seen is the prominence of travel programs uh, that teach skill sets year-round then they compete during the summer uh, and and, you know teams that win obviously have some talent and that's where recruiters are going to go Uh, but the programs sometimes are cost prohibitive and they don't they don't operate in the inner cities Uh, they're predominantly in the suburbs Uh, facility that gave me my start full circuit is in Hamburg Uh, and you know, it, it, it's not cheap, but it's worth every penny. But some of that's cost prohibitive uh, for some of the kids in the inner city trying to um, get the higher end coaching and uh, prepping them for college ball. So the part of the issue is uh, perhaps if um, RBI could perhaps fund a scholarship-type program for uh, 
the inner city to become members of, of these travel teams. Uh, and it's not to say there are, are not any black players out there. There certainly are. But it, that's one of the issues is that you don't have a player that's ready to compete in college because he hasn't been exposed to practices two or three times a week, focus on particular drills and skill set development and weightlifting to make the measurables, how to get faster, how to hit uh, particular exit velocity, throwing uh, velocity, things of that sort. Um, and everything is moving in the right direction. Um, and you mentioned uh, Spencer Allen. Uh, he happened to be on the um, January, February edition. Uh, was on the cover of the Inside Pitch from ABCA. Uh, and some of the things he said are exactly what I had wanted to talk about today. Um, you know, it's being lucky in the right spot at the right time, and that's uh, where I was. I was fortunate to have this start at Clarion, and it never was a consideration of, of color there. It was, hey, you identified some talent. You helped us out, so keep helping us out. Uh, and then as I parlayed that into the job at Finger Lakes, same thing. It was never about race there, uh, and it wasn't about race going to Hilbert, and it wasn't about race with my opportunity here at, at Duville. It just so happens that I'm a man of color and makes the, um, you know, the, the appointment uh, historic. Uh, but again, how do we increase minority involvement? I think the issue lies in the fact that of the scholarship limitations at baseball, they're different than obviously football in basketball, and the you know there's no pretty much no such thing as a full ride for baseball. I mean that that's going to eat up a good portion of your 11.7 uh, that a coach has to to divvy up, uh, and so kids in the inner city they're not necessarily looking for baseball to be their quote unquote way out because the if they have the athletic potential to play Division one college baseball. They also would have the ability, presumably, to play another Division One sport where there are full rides granted and they don't have to shell out as much. So uh, that's where I think it is that kids are attracted more to, you know, basketball courts will be filled in the summer. Uh, if you go down to um, park nearby, has open basketball uh, courts, you go down any time during the week and filled. But also across the way from the basketball courts are baseball fields. And you just don't see that many um, players of color on the baseball fields. So it's just an attraction to the to basketball and or football that keeps a good portion of players of color interested in honing their skills for those two sports and not so much uh, with baseball. Yeah, baseball is an expensive sport and not just you know the travel organizations are very expensive but i don't know how it got to this but you know i'm not i'm not that old i'm 36 but like when i played in high school 
we had like a handful of bats for for my high school team and like you know a couple I, I had a bat a couple other guys had their own bat the the team would buy a couple bats and that was it like the team had like six or eight bats that everybody used and now every kid seemingly has not only their own bat but their own they get a new bat every year and bats are like what four hundred dollars four hundred fifty bucks if you're in high school and um and every kid seems to have a new one every year you know obviously gloves you don't have to get them maybe quite as often but gloves are very expensive it's just the the equipment you know, the equipment in baseball is very expensive and you've got to pretty much buy your own especially like your travel team is not going to provide you with with a bat um and it's almost like everybody's you got to have your own at this point. I know those things are certainly issues in the scholarship part of it. That's why I read that article, and this was probably four or five years ago at this point, that Major League Baseball, there was talk of uh, potentially Major League Baseball stepping in and doing something about the baseball scholarship situation for that very reason. You know, in baseball, you're playing for, if you're a really good player, a really good player, you're, you're looking at 50, 60, 70% scholarship which is a it's a good number but it's still not you're still paying a pretty decent amount out of pocket whereas if you get a basketball or football scholarship you're on a full ride you know NAIA schools are offering full rides for football you know division 2 schools are offering full rides for football whereas you know baseball you're you're starting with 11.7 at division 1 you know junior colleges are a little bit different division 1 junior colleges can offer full rides and, and can offer a good number of them but um but but four year schools cannot, and uh, and and I know that's a, that's a big issue, and and I wish that Major League Baseball, if Major to me, if Major League Baseball really wanted to see more minorities play, that's a very simple. I, I don't know how that marriage would work between the NCAA, even NAIA schools, junior colleges, and Major League Baseball. But if ba- if Major League Baseball just helped to fund the scholarship situation in college baseball, I think that a lot of a lot of barriers would immediately be broken down because at least then you're playing for you're playing for that you're you're playing for um, as a high school player you're playing for a full scholarship somewhere and even if you can't afford to be on the most elite travel organization if a division 2 team sees you or an NAIA school sees you and they're able to offer you a full ride and all you did was kind of play like local baseball which can be you know fairly inexpensive or just play high school baseball and the right person's there to see you then I think that opens up opportunities that that right now a lot of high school athletes just kind of realize that that's not going to happen. And if I want a full scholarship, I've got to play these other sports. And they probably don't even play baseball into, you know, a lot of them don't um, even play baseball late into their their high school careers, which is certainly a shame. Um, You know, for you, Coach, when you're out scouting, do you – do you pay any extra attention to, to minority players when you see them just, you know, in your in your heart because you want to give them opportunities that, that maybe other people don't? Or do you do anything to try to, to help minorities or, 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 you know, see organizations that, uh, that that maybe help minorities get some exposure? Do you, do you try to do anything like that just to just to help uh, players that are uh, that are minorities to have opportunities? Or is there anything out there that that does help? athletes that might well, be minorities all i can do is tell you what i have done so um and so when i started out with clarion uh went to a showcase event and in clipboard stopwatch radar gun the whole bit just evaluating talent not specifically looking for 
well, let me see how many black players are out here today and let me just watch them. That's not what my job was. It's to find talent that's going to help the team win. But uh, there was a player who stood out. Uh, he got down the line really fast, uh, called him a burn, and uh, was able to uh, help get him recruited, and he became uh, you know, a starter for Clarion after after I left, but he did become a starter there. Uh, and, and that's really what it takes, just having an open mind on coaches and not to say they have a closed mind. That's not it uh, by any stretch. It's just if, with baseball, measurables are the first analysis. Again, regardless of color, a 6'9 runner is a 6'9 runner. 6'8 is a 6'8, uh, and that plays well um, You know, at Division One, Division Two, and even – even three, and if there are shortfalls in other aspects, that might dictate where that player goes. Um, but you can see a player been to other uh, showcase events uh, or combines, if you will, and you know there have been you know several black players there, other players of color. Uh, it's it's not that flock to them and hey let me just watch these guys because again that's not the job the job is to find talent that can help your squad so uh, but you give a, a look and you know, if he runs a 7-1 he runs a 7-1 I would put an asterisk next to that player to remind me down the road that that was a player of color that much I do um, because that's when my opportunity is to help that player you know uh, get further recruited head coach makes the decisions and uh, make the recommendation uh, but beyond that it's still again it's the same issue that we've both addressed now it's, players aren't turning out with the same numbers um, as they would to for basketball and football you think of places like Puerto Rico or the Dominican Republic, and obviously they have different weather where where kids are able to play baseball outside. But there's there's still a lot of uh, what you might call like sandlot ball down down there uh, in those places, and um, you know obviously those two small islands produce a lot of major league talent. And and I you know I don't know if that uh, you know just the opportunities to play here uh how much of a difference that makes you mentioned travel baseball and just how expensive it is and i've seen you know guys that have you know pushed on social media just kind of saying people that advocate just for youth baseball just saying you know things like if if um if legion baseball were to kind of come back into prominence that would solve a lot of problems because legion baseball i, I don't it's either free or you maybe pay a small fee up front to 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 play but it's it's very, very inexpensive, and that's what people used to play. Even when I was coming through high school, I'm, you know, from a pretty small town in central Pennsylvania, about two hours from Pittsburgh, and I would have had to go to Pittsburgh to be on a travel team, even you know, 20 years ago. And now there there is a travel team in my organization or, or my area, and there seems to be a travel team everywhere. Like no matter where you live in the country, there's a travel team within reach, and uh, and and those you know those are expensive, and, and people. Part of the issue is that people would coach Legion just to coach, just 
you know, for free, basically. It's just, it, it, was, it was something you did because you loved baseball. And now guys that run travel organizations and no fault to them, but they're making a business out of it. It's, it's their, that's their job. That's their full-time job. So obviously it's going to cost money. It's going to be pretty expensive. And the whole thing is just such a conundrum that I don't know where it ends. But with figured out baseball coach, I know, I don't know how much, you know, you and I haven't spoken a whole lot before this a couple times. But one of the things that we try to do at Figured Out Baseball is to provide a great resource that anyone can afford. If you go to the homepage of the website, there are more than 500 videos and podcasts that are totally free. And then we have our premium part of the website, which is only $3.97 a month. And I encourage, anytime I talk to a coach, I encourage a coach to, hey, sign up once, you know, sign up just one, uh, one person, sign up in your organization, take the money out of the budget and share you know, share the logging with your whole team, with every player, every parent, every coach. And, and what we want to do with this, and it's not specifically for minority players, but it's just for anyone that right. needs a better opportunity than they have or, or wants more information than they can get, whether it's because of financial reasons, whether it's because they live somewhere where there just isn't a really good instructor around them. But we want to bring great resources to anybody who wants it, no matter where they live, whether they're in the U.S. or they're overseas or, or wherever it is. That's kind of what we want to do with this, and I, I don't, um, you know, I don't know exactly how to make that be known or or kind of advertise that way. But that's one of the reasons that I did this is because I wanted to provide as good of resources as we possibly could to people who couldn't otherwise have access to those resources. Right, and the key word there is opportunity. Um, you know, I mentioned it because I had an opportunity, but you just said it, and it's you know giving uh, all players an opportunity but your low cost uh, makes it accessible for all ball players uh, to go back to the uh, travel um, I wanted to say that there's an opportunity for travel clubs to can't call it a scholarship but if there's a player that they want on their team and they think they can help develop that player to become even better you know then subsidize um, you know, the, the, the costs let them come come on and play for free. You, know, you can pay for his uniform, things, or whatever. But that's travel ball. They, so that opportunity is out there. If there's, you know, if there's a player that's in need, let them play for free. Um, but you mentioned Legion ball as well. Um, I remember the, when I played, uh, I had to fill out a questionnaire, and the I didn't play Legion ball, but that was one of the top recruit questions like where did you play your legion ball um but now i just remember my high school coaching days uh playing on there were two fields in a, in a park uh the fields were no fences so they were just you know uh one was in one corner the other was in the other corner and balls would go into each field but i remember there being a legion game and quite honestly thinking that my high school team here can beat that Legion team uh, just because of the way the players carry themselves, um, their reactions, uh, and how they approach you know, fielding a ground ball, the pitching. All the, the pitching was diluted because if you have if you have an arm, you're probably playing travel ball somewhere because you want to be seen. And I think that's where travel really exploded. You know, what started out as something that's fun to do and you can travel to 
myriad of places. You can go to New Jersey, you can go to Delaware, you can go to Michigan, Ohio, you can go pretty much anywhere and the family can treat it as a little bit of a vacation. You had fun, but then as soon as someone gets recognized for excelling at that type of tournament and they get a division one offer, then all of a sudden, well, that's where we need to go because obviously a D1 coach was there and offered him, so we need to go where the D1 coaches are. And, and it is, from a coaching and recruiting perspective, centralized venues are great uh, because travel budgets are limited, uh, re- recruiting travel budgets are limited, so we can go to a central spot and see all of the talent, and then we can figure out that player is a fit for us right away then I can figure out where he's going to be playing um, tomorrow and go watch him compete in a game. Not just the showcase component, but I want to see how he can compete during a game. So that's that also increased um, you know, the need to travel, the need to be on a squad, or um, to join um, the organization that will list all of the player info, summarize it, hold an event where it's a statewide event, and we can evaluate the talent in three or four hours in the morning and stay and watch more of the evaluations in the afternoon, and then the next couple of days watch these players compete. So um, that's where Legion Ball gets diluted because these players, instead of being at home in the Legion game, they're at the showcase event trying to be seen because they know the coaches are going because they were there the year before they were there the year before that so that's how legion ball has kind of gotten polluted i don't know that bringing it back and making that a primary um can't really make it a primary recruiting tool but uh, there's other organizations that are playing amateur ball where there's plenty of good players uh, that are playing so um i think legion ball is going to have a tough time becoming uh, or regaining its spot as the premier you know, summer ball uh, where to go get to recruits. I've said this before, and I still think it's a pretty good idea, but I don't, you know, it's how to, how to get anybody on board with this, I don't know, but once players commit to a college, which is happening earlier and earlier now, once players commit to college, I think it would be a good idea for those players to then go back and play Legion. Um, because, you know, regardless of what your family situation is like, and unless you're like a a high draft pick, if you're committed to, you know, a a mid-major division one and and you're, you're not getting draft interest out of high school, even though you you hope to, but you're not getting draft interest out of high school, why not go play Legion, go play for free and, and spend your last couple summers, you know, uh, of high school, just uh, being around home. You know, and, and spending more spending time with your friends at home and and, um, and and being around your family more before you go off to college. And then if everybody if that was a thing that everybody did, then obviously you'd have pretty decent competition in Legion. Like your you know, your underclassmen might not be there because they're still trying to go out and get recruited, but certainly like, you know, eighteen year olds graduating seniors, most of them would be playing Legion in that scenario and, and there's you know, they're gonna be juniors and sophomores that have already committed that would be there as well. And, and once you've committed, what you know, why not? That would I- increase the, the competition level. It would make Legion, 
you know, exciting, I think, and, and more desirable, and maybe that would be the start of it. And, again, it would save families thousands and thousands of dollars. You know, it's, travel ball started out like let's get the best players from this area together and go play some other people and, and you know, help them to get exposure but also just help the good players to be able to play against other good competition. And uh, – but like once you've committed, what's the what's the point of going to you know paying five, ten thousand, whatever it is, to whatever it costs to play on these good travel teams in the summer? Why continue to pay that once you've committed? You know why not save five or ten thousand dollars that you can put towards your tuition next year, and and just play local baseball? I, I don't know. To me, it seems like a good a good idea on the surface. Maybe there's something I'm missing, but uh, anyway, that's something to just I, I've had in mind. I think the next the next carrot though is if I've com- committed, then I must have draft potential, so I'm going to continue to play at these travels because I'll never know when there's a scout that will be there. and I could, Or maybe there was a scout already interested, but if I'm playing higher-level competition, um, that scout can follow me. and um, you know, Or my buddy, is he definitely is getting scouted, I can play with him on this superior travel team. We'll be at this venue, and maybe that scout will recognize me as well, whether I've committed or not. But it's always the next carrot, and that's where, you know, as I mentioned earlier, all it takes is one person from a team that wins a championship. You know, they're, of course, the proper age, but a player from that team get a D1 offer. Everyone's going to know about it with social media and things of that sort. Next thing you know, everyone wants to go to that team, chasing the D1 dream. And there's nothing wrong with chasing that. And I wanted that was one of the things I wanted to talk about. Um, <clears throat> there's a difference between a travel team that's together so players can have fun and um, enjoy playing ball. But there's other organizations that truly develop players where – practice day one is a particular skill set the next practice is scheduled for a weightlifting session on how to you know properly carry out these uh, weight training exercises to get better uh, then you have a you, you most times bp every time and you have eyes on to say well you need to tweak this particular mechanic you need to make that adjustment to help you be able to hit faster velocity, things of that sort. So there's a difference between just a regular travel team that's thrown together or you know, organizations that have uh, a plan where they're developing better baseball players. Um, so I, I don't think they're going to go away, um, but you have an idea there with once a player is committed, then play Legion ball. But there are other uh, summer collegiate leagues where uh, that's all that could you know contribute to the uh, legion not being premier once again like you have the northwoods league things of that sort there's other collegiate summer ball leagues now uh, i know there's uh, ripkin down in myrtle beach they have a just started uh, i think 2019 where they really started to Advertise, hey, we have a summer collegiate league down here. The games are going to be, um, be video feed, walk up music, 
you're not wrong about dangling the carrots. And for kids, it's not just, you know, I think for a lot of kids it is the draft potential. You know, hey, I've, I've, I'm committed to a Division One, or, hey, I'm committed to a nationally ranked Division Two. Maybe I have a shot. But it's also like the rankings. They're always, you know, kids are chasing rankings. And if you don't go to events, you're not going to be ranked. And that's something that these um, the organizations that run showcases and tournaments, you know, they're they're really good at dangling those carrots. And, and they, they've got people hooked and, and think that, that that's a big deal when really it's probably not in a lot of cases. Uh, but, you know, but maybe it is. I, I pay attention to them as an associate scout. You know, as I'm sort of preparing for the spring, I know guys in my area already, but I'm also going to look at the rankings from several different organizations and just see what they've seen. Like they might have seen somebody who took a big jump in velocity, and, and now that I can I can verify that through this third-party source, now I, I know that, hey, this guy got – he got better from, you know, from when I saw him to, you know, six months later he took a jump, and, and maybe this spring he'll take another one. So I need to go out and see what he did. And, and I wouldn't know that if it wasn't for those organizations that are ranking kids and, and that are, uh, you know, rep- recording all the measurables and all of that. Now, Coach, for you as a college coach, how much attention do you pay to – uh, rankings to uh, you know kids in New York as there several organizations are going to rank the kids in New York. That, like how much does that mean to you? If you see a guy for the or or you maybe have never seen a guy before and someone calls you and says, "Hey, here's so and so. Here's a name that I think you need to pay attention to." Are you going to look him up in some in some different places and just find you know see what you can see about him? Check out check his ranking. See if you can find video. You know check. Um, what kind of measurables you can find about him? Is that something that you do to begin the recruiting process if you hear about a player? I'm, I'm speaking only for myself. Uh, ranking means nothing to me, uh, simply because I'm looking at skill set. So if I go on to an organization site that summarized everything, I'm looking for measurables. Then I want to see the video to see if that measurable that's in a static uh, you know, environment where you're hitting off a tee where they measure, measure exit velo. Um, radar guns are up and they're thrown off the hill. You know, things of that sort. Or they're hitting ground balls so that we can evaluate your skill set for fielding. You know, those are the things that matter to me because I need to see if I can coach that player. Is there an adjustment I can make to his swing to give him more power? Or is there, you know, does he have upside you know, there was a, you know, that, you know that terminology upside. He, he might not be the guy now, but he could fill out and be um, the guy. There was there was another player. I won't mention his name, um, but I saw him doing a, just working out with his high school team, and he was the definition of upside. Wiry kid, a lot of whip in the arm, uh, and was open to low ladies at the time, but I'm like, oh, nope, it's there. It's going to be there. So I actively recruited him uh, for Clarion, but he had another offer that uh, came in, and so he was going to go to, I believe, a junior college and develop there, but he was seen by a major Division One based on a call. They came to see him throw, and by that point, he was uh, sitting high 80s, and he got an offer, and um, and joined that that team. So players are going to develop, but it's it's the visual component 
I can put him on the radar gun. That's one thing. But his physical makeup and whether he has the whip in his arm that shows that there's potential for increase, that's what I, I still need to see that. And before I make a trek to um, a venue to see a whole bunch of players, if there's one who I have in mind, I'll see if he's got the minimum set, skill set. You know, is he, is he, is he 70, throwing 75 or, or is he throwing 85? You know, I need to see those things and then I need to see how he can compete because that's what it's about uh, is competing. I think lost in um, some of the, not organizations, but lost players lose track of um, what it means to compete. And I've seen that over the years where player will work hard at making sure his swing looks good. You know, it's, I have a nice long follow through and, and, and it looks good and I attack the ball, but there's no violence through the zone, right? That's great that you have an 80 exit velo, but it could be 90 if you were to attack and make a couple tweaks, but they're so focused on you know, looking good that it doesn't translate to a game. You know, a hittable fastball ends up being fouled off because you're worried about looking good or can't pull the trigger. I've seen more guys get locked up because they're they're worried about how their mechanics are. They get locked up and can't just cut loose uh, during games. So uh, that's the if there is a downside to the, some of the development programs, things that players are not are losing the com, uh, ability to compete. And I can tell you one thing though, we're in all my years of travel, you can see those organizations that stress being able to complete or to compete because they get in the box and the first fastball that's over the middle of the plate, there's a good swing getting put on it. And those are the teams that tend to win the tournaments and things of that sort. So any players that are out there listening to this, never forget that uh, being able to compete is one thing um, to, to keep in mind and always try to compete. That's absolutely uh, something that you just don't see get enough attention in in baseball, youth baseball now. As, you know, I, we talk all the time on these podcasts about social media and about the impact that social media has on baseball. And uh, you know, on social media, all anybody, all anybody wants to do is post about you know a guy hitting in a cage and like look at that, look at the swing, and look at the mechanics and. And like, oh my gosh, he looks just like that major leaguer. But I, I just, I think that there's a whole lot to being able to compete. I'd rather have an ugly swing that competed in the box and who, and a guy that just had a knack for getting the barrel on the ball than a guy who, you know, whose swing looked just like Mike Trout or just like Nolan Arenado or just like anybody else. I, I'd rather have a, a guy that, that, that was maybe a, a little bit of unconventional swing who just barreled the ball and was very competitive and uh, and played the game hard in all phases. I'd rather have that guy than the guy with the perfect, the mechanically perfect swing. And I don't know if maybe that's changed or that's um, you know just because I haven't coached college baseball for six years or whatever it's been. And but but that's how I feel as a if I was still recruiting or if I was coaching in college now. Those are the guys that I would like. I, I'm I'm in agreement with you that I think the competitive factor is something that. Uh, that is certainly a tool that I think coaches look for. Now, coach, is that something that you believe can that be taught? Is that something that you think that it that comes naturally to guys, or is that is that something that, that needs to be taught? Obviously, if it's if it's if 
the Cami thought it might take time to do it, so you'd rather have the guy that has that now, just like any other tool. But is that something that you think you can teach a guy, or is that something that you just think is sort of it's it's either in a guy or he's not, as far as just their competitive nature? It can be taught uh, to an extent. Um, let's just say there's a we'll take that one player who needs a year to develop, all right? But with increased repetition and improvement in skill set there's success and then once success happens then there's confidence and with confidence comes the an increased ability to compete uh, i've seen that throughout my years of coaching a player who had zero confidence you know i'm, I'm playing I, I love the game i want to get better that's why i'm doing the lesson or what have you and then we start to talk about what's in between the ears what's in your mind right now and, and of course you can't talk to a 12 year old in, in terms of how to compete the way you can a 17 18 or 19 year old you, you can be a bit more aggressive with the older player and they'll understand the mental component a little bit more and kind of get things ironed out and get out of their own way but you can't do that with a 12 year old the 12 year old still has a you know years of ball ahead of them and it's the game should still be about yes competing but it should also be fun and there's a there's a balance there but it, it being competitive can be taught um in a sense of hey we're not going to be taking pitches today i want you swinging that that teaches the player to be competitive as opposed to hey let's get guys on base and let's you know Let's take take the first two pitches. I'm not going to do that to a 12 year old because you know what? 12 year old wants to hit the ball, and I'm going to let him go ahead and take a rip. Because baseball theory for 12 u is is a bit different than at the collegiate level. You know, yes, we're at collegiate level, we're competing. We want to win a championship, and they've prepared. And they have the skill set to help work toward that goal. Uh, but there might still be a mental adjustment that needs to be made in addition to a physical to help that player compete at an even higher level. At 12, they all know about winning. Players know about winning. But they're not sure how to do it other than throwing the ball, catching the ball, and hitting the ball. That's where coaching comes in and think, well, how about that first pitch of that bat? Why did you not swing at it? I don't know. Well, let's let's talk a little bit more about that, Johnny. You want to hit the ball, so you got to swing the bat, right? And, and the, you can take them through a, some questions where it clicks. Then, next thing you know, Johnny's now competing because he's not afraid to swing the bat. Um, so it can be taught, but again, it's it's a process, and it has to be done the right way striking a balance between um, instruction and I don't mean to say I don't, not aggressive but you know if a player fails you can in, make sure the player understands that hey the world isn't coming to an end because you failed right there but let's figure out what we can do to keep you from failing that same way and that's when you start to create competitiveness because a player is no longer worried about failing because we all know baseball is a game of failure you know so we, we try to learn from the failure and, and not repeat it uh, so you, you can't teach 
competitiveness to an extent. I, I agree. I think just like any other tool, there there might be, I guess, a, a ceiling of how much you can really increase someone's competitiveness. You know, I've coached guys in college that just for the life of you, you can't have a hard time getting their motor started if they don't have a good motor. That that was a, a recruiting or a scouting term that that I liked a lot that I heard at some point as a college coach from someone else. And just like everything, just like everything in, in the, as you have as a coach, you steal it from somebody else. But I you know, heard another coach talk about a high motor at one point, this guy's got a high motor and, and I love those guys. And I think that there probably does, you know, the, to me, the energy level of a player is something that you're going to have a really hard time changing. If they don't, if they don't play with energy, I think that's, you're going to have a really hard time getting to play with energy, but the competitive side of things to, to me, you know, just to, to kind of further your point, I think a lot of it is just how they were taught and 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 kind of the freedom that they have, you know, when uh, when they're being taught at different levels. It, just as an example, if if kids are, if all a player ever does is get lessons and lessons and lessons and lessons, I, I you know, a lot of times that guy's swing is not going to be super athletic he's not going to use his athleticism that well in his swing even though he might be a great athlete you might see him play a different sport or you know see him play some basketball or football and think boy that guy's a great athlete then he gets into a batter's box and it's very mechanical and a lot of times just the way he was coached and kind of with the freedom that he's been given and i do think that the competitive side of that um is along the same lines but the energy that a player brings i think is is really important as well and i think that uh you know as a when you're going out to recruit players, that's something that that always stands out is is the energy. Is that something that you find? I mean, do you find yourself taking notes and and looking at some intangibles like that, like writing down how competitive this guy is, or just the energy that he brings on the field, or you know how um, how much he talks to the, to his teammates? Like if he's if he's constantly like you know picking his teammates up and, and slapping high fives, and and uh, you know when a guy makes a great play, this guy's there talking to him and saying, "Hey, great job." When a guy struggles, that you know a player's always there saying, "Like, hey, man, you'll get him next time." Are those types of notes that you're taking when you're going out and recruiting, like are those things important to you, all those intangible type things? Absolutely, uh, because the last thing that uh, I'm, gonna sh- I'm sure most coaches will agree, if not 100%, you don't want a person or a player that's on the team that has you know, a bad attitude that will infect the whole squad. Everyone's entitled to a bad day. And if you have that bad moment, but you move past it, that's all right. That's competitiveness. But if you let your bad at bad carry over to snapping at another player who may have had a you know made an error or who struck out, and then and it starts to carry on, you you know that same player is the, you know also the one who comes uh, getting out of the car with one cleat on and you know running through the grass over to the bench or walking over and not ready to compete for that game. Uh, definitely don't want those, but we are looking at that. I remember getting going um, last year in the height of the pandemic. I shouldn't say height, but it was shortly after the restrictions had been lifted and baseball was allowed to compete. I get to the field early. Why? Because I need to see IO. I want to see what these players are doing when they don't think anyone's watching or where nothing's at stake. I want to see how they're warming up. You know, are they joking around or are they serious? Are, you know, 
you can joke around if you're performing, you know, but if you're joking around because you overthrew your partner by, you know, 15 feet, that's not good. Um, but you can play loose. Uh, so I want to see those things. But I uh, remember there was, you know, one player who on the sheet that we were given had the best measurables, um, you know, that were reported. Got there just before the start of the game. No IO, no BP, so I couldn't I couldn't evaluate him. I had to go with just the uh, in-game eval, and that game got out of hand really quick, and it was a you know a mercy rule shortened game. So I didn't get a full eval on that player, but you know he might have been recruited had he been there on time and participated in the warmups, and I got a chance to see uh, where he is. So yes, the all of those intangibles are things that we take a look at. Again, I can't speak for every coach, but we got to make sure that that's a person that's going to fit with the chemistry of the team and not create bad chemistry because they can't handle the failure components of the game. Coach Gresham, one last area that I want to get into with you before we uh, wrap up the podcast is just I think it's so interesting that you spent so long as a prosecutor with, uh, again, I know you were coaching different levels, Little League and, and some and some travel ball during that time. But just to go from that to where you are now, it is not easy to get into college coaching, and it's certainly not easy, not easy to get into college coaching when you have a long layoff from that. But I'm just I'm just curious to know just how your path ended up where it did. How how did you get to where you are now? You're you were just hired uh, just within the last couple of weeks at Duville College, uh, Division Two. Well, well, a team that's that's I guess this will be their first full calendar year for all athletics to be Division Two, but they're transitioning to be Division Two. You're a Division Two assistant coach, um, which is a, a pretty extraordinary thing to begin with, and and yet you still are um, an assistant district attorney. Like those are, that's got to be a, a pretty intensive job, but but yet you still do this, and there's obviously a lot of passion for it. How did you get here? Not just like how did you get hired, but just how did you decide this is what you wanted to do, or how did you decide that 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 college baseball was something that you really wanted to pursue? Just how did you get here to where you're doing both of these things and and doing them well, and 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 doing a lot of things that you know two things that a lot of people would maybe have a hard time balancing. How did you get to this point where you are right now? Well, I'll jump around a little bit. The, the balance comes from having uh, been here 25 years and accumulated a lot of vacation time. So, um, you know, I uh, just I use the time appropriately when I have to get out to go coach. For example, when I was at Finger Lakes, you know, that's in Canandaigua, New York. That's uh, 80 miles away from Buffalo. So I'd hop in the vehicle, drive there. Coach doubleheader on Tuesday, drive back and do it again on Thursday and again on Saturday and again on Sunday. So during the week, I would use my personal time. Uh, I've been fortunate that um, you know the judiciary was aware uh, of my love of the game. Uh, one of the judges happens to be a, a local baseball Hall of Famer as well, so that worked out well. But. Um, how did I get here? Let's rewind all the way back to when I left uh, Virginia Wesleyan. Uh, you know, I wasn't a scholarship player's division three. I wasn't a starter. Uh, never 
never claimed to have been a starter, but as a non-starter, I still had to compete with the rest of the guys because I was trying to at least prove to the coach that I can play. I'll, I'll get my shot when it, when the time is right. But for monetary reasons, I, I transferred back home because uh, the tuition was just getting a little out of hand. Um, but uh, just remember soaking in everything that coach was talking about and then looking at, well, why is he starting versus this other kid? Because I, I, I couldn't see the difference. I thought they were both good. you know. Um, and in some respects, it came down to, well, that guy's a better hitter. Uh, and I had the fortune of being around a, a guy named Chris Dodolo when uh, I was at Virginia Wesleyan. He ended up getting drafted by the Giants and was in their organization for a little bit. So I look back on that and I'm like, oh, okay, that's a pro skill set. He did everything and made it look so easy. He was really super nice and he was able to explain some things to me. Um, and then he ends up getting drafted while I was back in Buffalo finishing up. So I was lucky in that regard, but I also got into coaching a little league just because I love the game um, and coached another uh, a player who would go on to be a professional uh, but he was a lefty and I, all I did was again take some 12 year olds and you know I didn't treat them as college players but I was fresh out of college and they could relate to me because I was still close in age to them you know, and it was cool for them to have a their summer coach, their little league coach, was a former college player. So um, that's how I got into it, and we won a championship that summer, and it was pretty fun. But then, uh, you know, life happens. You end up having kids, you have a career, and I was away from it. But I was fortunate that uh, I had a son who um, was a bit above average, and uh, it was his playing that kind of paved the way for me to get uh, into college coaching. Um, as I said, I started out with Clarion because Clarion was recruiting my son. And as a father, I simply was like, well, I want my son to be on a competitive team, so I know that player over there can compete. Let me just go to the coach and say, hey, keep an eye on that guy. So that's how the collegiate thing started. Uh, and I was around um, people who were either professional scouts, uh, associate scouts, who played uh, Division One baseball, every time they spoke, I soaked it up and just added it to my toolbox. Um, and I think the biggest impact was uh, Terry Collins, who was then the manager of the Buffalo Bisons at the time, and he hosted a clinic but he himself taught the hitting component and something that has stuck with me my entire coaching career uh, was the concept of hands inside the ball. You hear different permutations of it now. Um, you know, say it differently, but if a player's having trouble making contact, that's one of the first things I go back to. I always will. Um, you know, hands inside the baseball. That knob has got to be inside the path of the baseball and and go from there. And that usually will iron out a lot of things. Um, and then being around people, again, soaking up information and being able to explain that to a player to help uh, help them get better gets recognized. Um, and, again, being around the right people who are 
appreciate that ability and aren't saying, hey, that's that's just the dad coach over there. And that's why this, uh, another reason why being able to have the opportunity to go to Duville, and, uh, it's, it's almost vindication and validation for me uh, that I have coaching ability and have information that's worthwhile for players, but also that I'm more than just a dad coach because I'm still doing it, even though my son has hung up his cleats. Um, I'm still doing it. So, again, it was just being in the right place at the right time, not being afraid to approach a college coach. He was nice enough to talk with my son, and he addressed me. Uh, but then as we continued, and my son was going to commit, um, I just had the, the uh, courage to say, hey, take a look at that guy over there. And, and then the rest is kind of history. I just ended up going um, – Things didn't work out at Clarion. Uh, the head coach unexpectedly retired, so there's a new crew coming in, and I knew right away that, um, that I had to depart. So they didn't have a difficult decision to make. It was easy enough. I walked away, uh, and then I got the opportunity uh, at Finger Lakes. And, and it wasn't just, oh, sure, we'll bring you on. I know that uh, Coach Marin over there, you know, he vetted me. He called around to make sure – I wasn't just a dad coach. They had things to offer, and um, that turned into we, we almost won a Region Three championship, but we just we we got out hit by Herkimer that back in 2019, uh, and then that parlayed into Hilbert, and now well, again, Coach McLean at Duville also vetted me to make sure that I had um, the type of coaching personality that would fit with his program with and the way that he wants to go. So I'm just been very fortunate. I'm sure that that in the court in the courtroom you are you've you've got to have one personality. Um are you a prosecutor on the field as well? <laughs> like do you are you the kind of coach that I mean are you are you pretty tough on guys? Are you you know I, I'm sure again, a lot of your job is about you know Laws, following rules, discipline, et cetera, et cetera. Are, are you? Are you? Do you find yourself um, bringing things that uh, tools that you use in the courtroom to the field? Or are you a completely different guy there? Uh, just as far as you know, what what type of coach you are day to day, and uh, and how that differs, or maybe is the same as the personality that you've got to uh, sort of take on as a prosecutor. The role of the prosecutor is, is, is different. Um, I mean, we, there's preparation involved, and as, just as there's preparation involved with coaching. Uh, and I've never in 25 years gone to court unprepared. Um, and likewise in coaching, I've never gone into a game unprepared. Uh, but in terms of discipline, no, I don't always scream at players. I'm not that type of coach because that's that's a surefire way to have players shut down and then you can't teach them. Um, I always try to touch base with players and, and um, even though I'm 51 now, soon to be 52, but I can still relate to the 18, 19, 20 year olds that I'm coaching because I find a way to do it and connect with them. Um, and, and they understand that my mission is to make them better as we all chase a ring 
again, no secret. <laughs> you don't get into this just because you want to coach. You want to win. As Augie Garrido, uh, may he rest in peace, but as he put it, I had the fortune of hearing, seeing him speak at convention before he passed, but winners get treated differently in, in this society. That's just how it is. Uh, so everyone wants to win, and everything that I teach is to try to get a player better because if that player does his job better and the next player does his job better, then you know, the W's will take care of themselves. If you get overmatched, you get overmatched because of skill set. We can't control that, what's on the other side uh, of the field. But my guys will be ready. They'll be mentally prepared um, and do the best I can to get them physically prepared. But there are times, though, when, you know, the voice has to go up a, a little bit. Um, like I have a pet peeve, Ole glove flips. Can't stand them. <laughs> <laughs> so players get warned. Because um, if I'm if I'm watching IO, if I'm not hitting it, uh, I'm watching it. And if I see an Ole glove flip, that player hears about it. After the warning, if they continue to do it, then it becomes push-ups, and it's a geometric <laughs> progression. And they they quickly stop that. They end up understanding why, because what you might see a pro player doing that's a glove flip, but they're exceptional athletes. That little flip happens so quick. But a player, you know, uh, that's a, not a professional may still have a, an advanced skill set, but not the super fast twitch that our pro athletes have. That glove flip could mean the difference between cleanly fielding a ground ball or having it just kick off the heel of the glove. All right, and when will it happen? The worst possible time. It'll kick off the glove. Um, you know, you just need to record the first out of an inning, and it kicks off the glove. And next thing you know, three runs plate uh, after that because everyone's dejected. So I try to get the players to understand. I'm not going to tell you anything that's going to make you uh, worse. I'm trying to tell you things that'll get you better. And sometimes the voice has to go up to get the point across. Uh, but I also know about uh, not motivational speaking, but um, I can always I try to relate to something that's in their lives. So for the past couple of years, you know, video games were popular, and I remember connecting with the players because they all played Fortnite. When I asked, who plays Fortnite? Every hand went up. And I said, how do you get better at Fortnite? play it and we practice it exactly so how do you expect to win a championship in baseball if you're not going to put in the time to get better at what you do and they get it you can see it click so you, you can see a marked effort going forward from that point so um, that's that <laughs> this has been great this is chris gresham everybody who's an assistant coach uh, he, he just was hired at Duville, a Division II school, Western New York in Buffalo. Coach, is there anything that we did not get into today that you wanted to or anything that you just want to you want to say to kind of wrap this up on your end? To other coaches out there, uh, adjust um, how you coach. Uh, players nowadays do not react well to screaming constantly. Yelling for one moment is one thing, but if you're constantly on them, you'll lose them. They'll just lose interest. And um, But adapt. Terminology that was used before, it, it may be the same goal to get there, but um, 
overall trying to get the players better and the a fix for one might not work for the two other players. So you have to adapt and figure out which is going to get player A better, which is going to get player B better, and which is going to get player C better. And then you've done your job as a coach. I love that. Such a, a lot of a lot of great things to take away from this podcast, Coach, and just your your perspective and the things that you've been through, I think, are really unique, and I, that's why I was happy to bring you in the program. And uh, I just want to personally thank you for taking the time. I know you're a very, very busy guy, so taking the time to be on this podcast means a lot to us. Um, so I want to personally thank you for that and just wish you all the best uh, this year at Duville, your first year there. And, and I'm excited to see you know what you do and, and just where you keep moving up in the world and be excited to follow your, your coaching career. I appreciate that. Thank you for the opportunity today. I'm happy to be here.